Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I am glad that you're here. I'm glad that we are... Well, I'm not glad that we're approaching an end to the summer, but I am glad that we're starting the new year, the new school year, the new rhythm. Uh, the, the week before will kind of look like this week, will kind of look like the next week. There's some, some, some peace in my mind for those kinds of things, so I'm looking forward to it. If you have a Bible, go ahead and find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And this is it. This is our last week in 1 Thessalonians. This is our last section of this wonderful letter. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've really enjoyed walking through this letter of Scripture with you this summer. It's, it's been helpful for me as just a reminder of the, the power of the gospel to transform our lives and, and not just transform us from the inside out, but transform how we live. And uh, hopefully you've been able to pick up on some of those things as well. Just to give you a heads up, starting next week, uh, so you'll have a week to get your, uh, your school legs under you and get the rhythm down. And, and next Sunday, uh, we're going to start our fall uh, Bible study series through the letter to the Ephesians. So in the fall, we're going to go through Ephesians. So you may want to read ahead. And um, I would encourage you in this next week, just read straight through Ephesians. There's six chapters. It'll take you probably 10, 15 minutes to read it. Um, there is so, so, so much in that letter uh, for our good and will lead us to glorify God together. So I'm excited to get into it with you. Um, but that's where we're headed after this week. Today, though, we'll be sent to go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. From Paul, as he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, but also by the power of the Spirit, he's writing to you and to me. And I know that, that we're being sent in the end of this letter into a new season of life, right? It's the new school year. Um, a new year means a new grade, new teachers, new classes, maybe even a new school for a lot of you. You're moving from one school to the next. Um, and so all of that invites new opportunities and also new challenges, right? Some, some things will be different from last year. And for some of you, that's a good thing. For some of you, that's a sad thing. And so how are we going to leave uh, the summer and go into this new season of life together uh, in the grace of the Lord? I hope that we'll see in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, in Paul's last section, that there is a good word for all of us this morning. We're going to be sent to go in grace as the church, and, and we're going to be sent to go in grace in our own hearts individually with the encouragement of God to go on a, a clear mission. So that's where we're headed this morning. Um, so let's, let's read. You should be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. We'll read a couple verses, and then we'll, we'll dive in together. Paul writes, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let's pray before we go any further. Oh God in heaven, I'm, I'm grateful for these students and for uh, the opportunity that we have to open up your scriptures and to hear you speak. Lord, this is your word. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is authoritative. It's clear. It's necessary. And it's sufficient for all that we need for life and godliness. And so I pray for these students and these leaders as we spend time together in your word, that we would hear from you. 
And that by the power of your spirit, you would transform us, you would equip us, you would convict us of sin, you would empower us to holiness and faithfulness. Lord, have your way among your people today. Help me to teach with clarity. And if anything that comes out of my my mouth is unhelpful, unwise, or untrue, Lord, would you let it fall on deaf ears? Give me the words to speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as you've already seen in this passage of Scripture, there's going to be a lot of just rifle shot phrases that Paul is trying to throw in here at the end of this letter to to send off this church into faithful, grace-filled living. And the first section that we just read, verses 12 through 15, is all about going in grace as the church. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing you might want to write is, let us go in grace as the church. So Paul is writing in this section to the brothers or to the brothers and sisters. In other words, he's writing to the whole congregation and he's saying, I want to make sure that all of you hear what I'm saying. I'm going to give you some practical reminders, some practical counsel for living in a way that honors Jesus. And so he begins with his eyes on the group. So Paul recognizes that the church in this passage has leaders, right? He says in verse 12, Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So there are leaders in our church who are worthy of respect and esteem for their labor and their oversight. And and properly, right, we understand that what Paul is most likely talking about is what we would call pastors, perhaps deacons. Uh, In our context at Lakeview, our equipping staff, there are pastors and ministry directors. But this pattern of honor extends out to those who lead in various ministries throughout the church. So just very practically, you're called to love and respect and honor your table leaders. You're called to love and honor and respect your equipping leaders. These these men and women pray and prepare and serve each week for your good. They're they're discerning from the Lord. They're, They're preparing a lesson. They're preparing to facilitate discussion. They pour into your life. They encourage you. They exhort you to holiness. And on and on we can go. And so As members of the church, you and I strive for peace when we show honor and respect to those who are leading us, serving us. When our leaders are loved and respected and heard, that that doesn't mean that they'll always be perfect, right? Like all of us have uh, probably experiences with a table leader or a pastor or an equipping group leader or somebody in the church that they said something we didn't like or they, they said something that we don't necessarily agree with. It doesn't mean that they'll always be perfect, but it does mean that we've been given a charge that God has given them and us, this this church, this body of Christ to to lead and to serve and to learn and to grow together. Now, that doesn't mean that members, just like you, if you're not in a position of leadership, so youth, that doesn't mean that you don't have a role. So look with me in verse 14. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So Paul is saying, all of you have this job to do. If you want to go in grace as the church, if you want to live your life as a body of believers that honors Jesus, you have some responsibilities. So first, he says, admonish the idle. What does that mean? To admonish means to warn to, to, t- to tell somebody, hey, watch out, right? To warn and correct those who are idle, that is, not willing to work, not willing to serve, not willing to involve themselves. 
So you and I, as all of the brothers and sisters in the church, have a responsibility to admonish one another when we're idle. So if you have a friend, perhaps in your grade, who is on the roll, they used to come to Lakeview, they used, they're a member of our church, but they're not faithful to attend, they're not faithful to invest themselves in what we have going on as a youth ministry, it may be wise for you to reach out to them and say, hey, we've really missed you. So admonish doesn't mean like, uh, come see me in the principal's office, you're in huge trouble, Right? Um, no, to admonish often begins with, with loving correction. Hey, I, I really missed you this summer. I haven't seen you around a lot. We would love for you to kind of step back into some of the things that we're doing as the youth ministry. I think it'd be really helpful for you, and we would love to have you. That, that's what it looks like. So we admonish the idol. We invite our brothers and sisters to, to step back into faithfulness and involve themselves. Second, he says, encourage the faint-hearted so, so how do you do this? How do you encourage the faint-hearted? That is, you love and you build up those among us who are wounded and discouraged. Now, throughout your life, all of us will be the ones who are either wounded or discouraged, right? It could be something that happens in your family or something that happens at school or something that happens in your, uh, in your personal life with maybe a relationship. And you find yourself just broken, weak, wounded, discouraged. You need the body of Christ to encourage you. You need brothers and sisters to come alongside you and remind you that God is good, that he's faithful, that your suffering isn't meaningless or random. And so that means all of us as brothers and sisters have a responsibility to keep our eyes open, right? Who around me seems like they need to be encouraged? Who around me seems to be hurting? Who, who around me seems to be maybe wounded over something? And, and maybe how can I, Lord, give me the words to say, how can I pray for them? How can I encourage them? That's not a responsibility of just the leaders. That's not a responsibility of just the pastors. That's a responsibility of the brothers and sisters. All of us have been called to do this. Third, we help the weak. Help the weak. That is, we bear the burdens of those who are struggling with sin and with brokenness. So you may have uh, a friend who is just, just struggling. They have maybe a, 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 a problem with anger or a problem with arrogance or a problem with pride or a problem with lust or you know, insert whatever hard pattern of sin they're trying to break and they find themselves just weak. How can we, as the brothers and sisters, bear their burdens with them? How can we come alongside them and, and not just encourage them in their, in their discouragement, but literally help them? How can we help those who are weak to become strong once again? I think about this, this one another passage from Galatians chapter 6. If any of you is caught in sin, let you who are more spiritual bring them out of it. Right? There's this, this idea that if somebody is caught in sin, it's not caught as if like, uh, you, you're stealing gum at the gas station and the, the gas station attendant catches you. It's not that kind of catch. It's more like if you're in the water, maybe at the lake, and your foot gets caught in a rock. That's the kind of caught that Paul is talking about. And so if, if any of us is caught in sin, we're stuck in sin and we can't get out, we have a responsibility as the brothers and sisters to do what we can to bring them out of their weakness, bring them out of their sin so that they might continue to walk in grace with us. So we admonish the idle, we encourage the faint-hearted, we help the weak. And then Paul says, we do all of this with patience. 
with patience. Why does Paul say, do all of this with patience? I think it's because Paul knows that it will test our patience, right? Uh, It is hard to try to help people, especially when they don't want to be helped. It's difficult to encourage people when they resist encouragement. Sometimes it's awkward. But he says, no, we never repay evil for evil. How our brothers and sisters respond to our encouragement, respond to our admonishing, respond to our help, we don't respond with evil. That's not what Christians do. We don't retaliate. It's not an eye for an eye in the family of God. Instead, no, we seek to do good. To one another first, meaning our church family has a kind of priority, and also to everyone. Look again at verse 15. It says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So Paul is saying, This one another, the one another of our church, has a kind of priority in your life when related to the whole world. So it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be patient with the world. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't seek to do good for the world. Obviously, you should seek to do good in all that you do. But the priority, Paul seems to say, is that you would do those things for one another first. So if you have to make a decision, okay, am I going to spend and invest my life and my energy and my effort encouraging and helping and admonishing the people outside of my family to the neglect of my family? He says, no, 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 no. You got it backwards. The family comes together. They love one another. They serve one another. They encourage one another. And that faithfulness to the family of God then spreads out to the world. That's how it works. All this is to say that Christians need the church. You and I need the church. We need one another. We need each other to press on in the grace of Jesus together. But we also must have this grace shining in our hearts individually. So let's keep reading, starting in verse 16. Paul writes, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So in the first passage, Paul has the the group in mind, the church in mind. And I think here there's a, a shift from the group to the individual. So the second point this morning is this. Let us go in grace in our hearts. In our hearts. It isn't just that we are this family of God. We are, but it's also that Jesus is my Lord, my Savior. There's a very individual aspect that we don't want to miss. So these quick commands in verses 16 through 22 are powerful indicators for you and me when we think about our life as a believer. So first, Paul says, rejoice always. Live a life of joy, he says. That doesn't mean you're never sad, right? I mean, you can read Paul's letters. There are often times where he is sorrowful, that he is frustrated, that he is angry over sin, but it means Living a life of joy means that you're walking in the joy of the Lord. That day by day, you are receiving and remembering the fact that no matter what happens today, God's stance towards you, if you are in Christ, God's 
attitude towards you, his emotion towards you is delight. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants what's best for you. So you can go through this day, no matter what this day brings, and know that even if the whole world falls around me, I have this solid rock to stand on. God is pleased with me because he is pleased with Jesus. We can live a life of joy. Sometimes that's not an easy feeling to find. Often it's a decision that we make. So just let me give you a quick example from marriage, okay? We like to use the word love in our context a lot, but we all know that love has some very wildly different meanings. So if I can say, I love my wife and I love tacos, those are pretty different things, right? Or like, I love jazz, right? Even that, there's, there's this, there's, we were using, I'm using the same word, but I'm meaning something very different, right? If I love my wife like I love tacos, that's a big problem, one way or the other, right? Like whichever one has priority, I, I'm, I'm out of whack, right? Oftentimes, we think about love as this feeling that just kind of magically appears, And we just live in the state of bliss and love when it comes to our husband or our wife. But you can ask anybody who's married in the room and they will tell you that is not the case. That often love is not so much a feeling as it is a decision of commitment. It's it's waking up when I don't feel like dying to myself as Paul commands me to do in Ephesians chapter five for the sake of my wife. When I don't feel like doing that, It doesn't mean that I'm like, well, I don't have to love my wife today. I don't feel like it. No, I I make the decision day by day. Lord, I I choose to follow you and to follow your word, and I'm going to commit my life to you, and I'm going to show that by committing my life day by day to my wife. And so the love that I have for her is not just this ooey-gooey feeling. It's this commitment that I've made. And in the same way, students, you can choose to live a life of joy. But sometimes that joy is going to be so natural to you because of the circumstances in your life. It will feel so amazing that you, your, your, heart, your heart and your mind will be in lockstep. I know that I'm supposed to live in joy and I feel joyful. That's a wonderful place to be. But often that's not the case. So what do I do when I don't feel joyful Well, I lean into what I know and I say, God, I know that you have called me to live a life of joy. So Lord, help me today in all of my circumstances to choose joy and not this kind of fickle joy of the world that is like on a coffee cup or on like a fun Instagram post, but a deep rooted joy, this deep rooted contentment in who I am in Jesus. Paul wants us to live a joyful life. Second, we pray without ceasing. Now, this doesn't mean that we must stop what we're doing right now and pray or else we're being disobedient, right? Like that's not what pray without ceasing means. I mean, obviously Paul is writing a letter at this point. So it doesn't mean every waking moment of your day should be spent in prayer. But what does it mean? It means that you and me as believers ought to have a constant awareness that God is near, that he's present, and that his power is available to us. 
We can turn to him in prayer no matter what our circumstances are and no matter what circumstances come up in any part of our life. We can cry out to him when we hear of good things or bad things. When we get a good report or a bad report, we are prayerful people. So living a life of grace, we can go in grace in our hearts when we recognize that God has given us this gift of prayer. Third, we give thanks in all circumstances. That's a tough one too, isn't it? But if God is for you, then who can be against you? So so we might walk through trial and hardship, but we can have hearts that are grateful for the kindness of God, reminding us moment by moment that he is at work in us to mold us into the image of Jesus. So no matter what comes my way in the day, let's say I get to the end of a hard day. Maybe I had to counsel a student or a leader and something happened that I didn't want to happen. And there's just, I'm just very aware of my need. I'm very aware of my brokenness. I'm very aware of the brokenness of the world. I'm very aware that that in my own strength, I am, I am not capable. And I feel it. I feel that burden. I feel that weight. Maybe this is going to be like midterm week for you or like finals week. We, just be, we come face to face with our own inadequacies. What if you believed that that was a gift? Like what if instead of believing the world that says you just need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and never show weakness and never show fault and never show need, never ask for help. Instead of believing in this myth that you can have a kind of true independence in this world, what if God is revealing to you through those hard things what is real? And what is real is, I am poor and needy, and God is mighty to save, and he is faithful to supply all of my need. That's a gift. To be aware of our need is a gift. It's something we can be grateful for. We can be thankful for. So we can have grateful hearts in all circumstances. Don't miss this though. It's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you to do these things. So don't ever wonder during the day, man, what does God have for me today? Well, I know what he does have for you. He has for you these things that you would be constant in prayer, that you would be aware of his presence, that you would be choosing joy and that you would receive your circumstances with a grateful heart. Then he tells us, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Um, I don't know how many prophets you guys are interacting with day by day. Um, Probably very few, unless their name is like Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos, right? So, So what does he mean when he says, don't despise prophecies, but test everything? Well, in those days, the prophets were actually uh, active. I mean, there were uh, folks like Barnabas and Silas and Paul the Apostle and, and others who are an Agabus, these guys in the New Testament that are called prophets. Um, but notice, Pastor Brian does not call himself a prophet, and for good reason. So how do we interpret, how do we apply this test, this text? I think one way to apply it is to say something like this. In your life as a teenager, in our culture, in this time, in 2022, there are so many 
influences, so many voices. And if we're honest, behind those things, so many powers that want to capture your heart in this world. Like they, there are so many voices and influences in your life, speaking into your life that want your attention. They want your desire. They want your affection. They want your mind. They want all of you. And they will say what they can to try to get it from YouTube channels to news organizations to false religions and more, teenagers like you are bombarded day by day, hour by hour. And so Paul is saying to you and to me, test what you hear. Don't just believe someone because they sound good or because they look good or because they're seemingly offering you something that you think you want. And don't tune someone out just because you don't like them or because you don't think they have anything good to say. Instead, we test what we hear according to the word of God and we see what measures up. And then we run to the truth and we run away from evil. If you do that, if if I do that, if we do that together, then we will find ourselves running to the truth alongside each other. And we'll be running with the encouragement of God. So two longer points this morning, two smaller points this morning. Uh, Let's keep reading verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So Paul is telling you and me as the body of Christ and as individuals, let us go in grace with God's encouragement this morning. Here we see that the God of peace will sanctify us completely. He is going to work to transform our whole selves into his holy people. And when the day of the Lord comes, that day that we've talked about for a few weeks now, When that day comes, by his work and by his grace, we will be found blameless. Blameless. Paul reminds us, God is faithful. He will surely do it. He will never forget. He will never leave. He will never fall short. So as you start this new year, we have to remember that God is not just with us, but he is for us. All of us, our whole selves, by his grace, we can go in that grace to honor God with our bodies, with our affections, and with our minds. And that means that everything you do, everything you do, everything you are matters to God. Don't think that your sport or your extracurricular activity or your class or your club or your job is not an opportunity to shine the light of Christ. And don't think that it can't be a place for God to sanctify you. As though, well, God is going to work in my life at church, and he's going to work in my life in my small group, and he's going to work in my life in these things, but he's not going to work in my life in basketball. He's not going to work in my life in band. Of course he is. Because he's at work to sanctify you completely. 
So we go in confidence and we go in encouragement that we are never alone and that God has already promised us what our future holds. He will make us blameless. He will sanctify us completely. So let's have our eyes open to see wherever we are, whatever we're doing, God, what are you teaching me? I mean, are you teaching me something about taking care of my body? Maybe, maybe you play a sport and you realize, man, conditioning is terrible. It's hot. Well, God's given you a body and that's part of who you are. And to steward that body well is actually a way to honor God and to glorify him. And so pursuing excellence and those things that God has put before you is actually a way to, to honor him. God doesn't want to really worry about me if I'm in debate. <laughs> Here's some chuckles. Well, perhaps the Lord is using this class to sharpen your mind so that not when you just debate random things about whether or not gun control should be a thing or what kind of weird foreign policy you're having to debate and affirm or deny. But maybe he's, he's giving you tools so that when you go to scripture, you have a sharpened mind that sees things it didn't see before. And on and on we can go. Okay, last thing we have to wrap up. Verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So last thing, we go in grace as the church. We go in grace in our hearts. We go in grace with God's encouragement. And lastly, we go in grace on the mission on the mission. We see here in these final verses that Paul wants the whole congregation to hear what he has to say. So he's saying, I'm putting you under oath by the Lord Jesus to have this letter read. Presumably this letter would have been handed to the, the pastor or the elder of the church in Thessalonica. And he's saying, look, it doesn't matter what it takes. Make sure everybody hears this. This isn't just for you. He wants them to continue in their love and affection and respect for one another. So that's the holy kiss part right? He wants the, the brotherhood of this church to, to flourish. And so we greet one another with affection. We greet one another with honor. We greet one another with, with respect. So, hey, fun fact, in our culture, that's, that's not it, right? Like, holy kiss is not it. So, like, if we have guests that come in and you're like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Not a good move, right? So what's appropriate, right? What's, a, what's an appropriate way to welcome somebody or to welcome a brother that makes them feel seen? Here, here's one example. My hope is that we would uh, grow in our ability to invite our friends who maybe don't know Jesus or don't go to church uh, and bring them to the events that we have going on. And, and maybe just one very quick thing to say is if you bring somebody in or if you see somebody that you don't know, here's something that you could say. You look them in the eye you shake their hand and you say, I'm so glad that you're here. Like, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I mean, you have to think, there are probably plenty of people in your schools that never hear that. They never hear that somebody is glad that they're with them. That's just one way to honor, to show affection, to show respect. In verse 28, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's all we've talked about this morning, that we go in his grace. But that quick phrase in verse 25 is powerful. Paul, the apostle, 
says to this church, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. Now, what's Paul doing at this point? As he's writing this letter, what is Paul up to for which he needs prayer? He's going from city to city, sharing the gospel and planting churches. The apostle Paul was doing the work of a missionary, reaching the unreached with the good news of Jesus. And in this little request that Paul gives the church in Thessalonica and Paul gives to us by the Spirit, we remember that while we are not missionaries in the sense of crossing language barriers and cultural barriers to bring the gospel to a place where it is not present, we all are about to step into a mission field of our own. So we go in grace so that the grace of God might extend to those who have not experienced his love and grace. We go in grace as the church so that the message of Christ might be declared where it isn't loved and isn't cherished in your schools, at your job, on your sports team. We go with grace in our hearts so that the world will see that we are not of the world. So let's go in grace together, confident in God's encouragement confident in his promise that he's made to each one of us. Let's pray together and we'll spend the next few minutes discussing this in our groups.